year, uh, Prince Charles was crowned. King Charles III took place in Westminster Abbey. At one point in the two-hour-long ceremony, the moderator of the Church of Scotland approached the monarch and said these words. We present to you the most valuable thing that this life affords. And he placed in his hands a Bible. As the king, new king, received it, the moderator added, Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. That's old-fashioned speak for saying this is a living word. Interestingly, 11 years before, his mother, the late Queen Elizabeth II, on the occasion of her diamond jubilee, decided to give the nation, the entire nation, a gift. And the thing she chose to give them was a Bible. In fact, every Briton that wanted one could apply for a free version of the New Testament. They called it the Jubilee version. And in it, there were graphics and guidance explaining the gospel and inviting people to give their lives to Jesus Christ. What a great gift. Her Majesty ordered 250,000 and some of her advisors laughed her to scorn and said, that's way too many. In point of fact, they needed 650,000 to keep up with the demand. That's quite a contrast when one of her predecessors, centuries before, would have actually burnt people for possessing the very book that she was offering them as a gift. My task today is to talk to us about our relationship with this book. My message is entitled, The Bible, The Word of God, and this is one further core commitment of Landmark Christian Fellowship. Once made illegal, today the scripture is wonderfully and so readily available for anyone who wants it. Did you know that the Bible is the world's most translated book. The works of Homer are available in 40 different languages. Shakespeare is available in 60 different languages. The Harry Potter novels are available in 67 different languages. That says something. But the Bible has been translated into a whopping 2,300 different languages. The Bible is the world's most popular book. Annual global sales of the Bible number, are you ready? 15 million copies consistently each year. Which is amazing when they say if a book makes 40,000 copies in a year, it's considered a bestseller. So the Bible is the world's greatest bestseller Time after time after time. Did you know the Bible is the world's most available book? 
just for those of us whose first language is English or who can understand English, there are 160 different English versions to choose from. There's the King James, the New King James, the American Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, the New International Version, the Good News Bible, the Passion Translation, the English Standard, but it goes on and on and on, 160 different English versions. You can have your Bible hard-covered. You can have it paperbacked. You can have it digital. And there's even a graphic Bible laid out like a comic for those who like light reading. And yet the Bible, most translated, most popular, most available... The Bible is actually also the world's most neglected book. One writer quipped, we revere it more than we read it. And although 80% of evangelicals would say that the Bible really is the word of God, Many of them don't crack it open from one week end to the next. In fact, at this point in a service is when many evangelical Christians open their Bible and then close it again. I discovered some quite staggering statistics. Let me just share them with you. George Barner of the famous and reputable Barner Research Institute put the number of regular evangelical Bible readers at just 44%. Scott Rasmussen found it closer to 25%, and a USA Today poll discovered only 18% of people they spoke to in the evangelical world read their Bibles regularly. As the crew of Apollo 13 said back in 1970, Houston we have a problem. You know, there are four habits that lead to maturity. The habit of regularly praying, Acts 2.42. The habit of regularly giving, Luke 6.38. The habit of regularly fellowshipping, Hebrews 10.25. And the habit of regularly reading the scripture. Joshua 1 verse 8. So let's read Psalm 1. And what I want us to do from this psalm is to look at how we can interact with this book. And how this book can interact with us. So that's where we are going. I'm going to read from the uh, New Living Translation, the NLT. And if you don't have that, it can be seen on the screen behind me. All the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, 
and they prosper in all they do. But not so the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked lead to destruction. We're just going to concentrate on the first verses of this psalm, particularly verses 2 and 3. It begins, all the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. What the psalmist is saying is this, that the person who experiences the greatest joy in life gets the most out of their walk with God and enjoys the favor of God is the man or the woman who avoids the ways of the wicked and that's people who are hostile to God who refuses to adopt the same mindset as sinners and they are people who ignore God or live without reference to him and keep themselves free from the cynicism of mockers. Mockers are people who deride God. But instead, and here's where we are beginning, verse 2 says, they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Let's Press pause there and let's think about this verse almost word by word. First of all, David says that these people who are blessed, these people who are full of joy, they delight in the law of the Lord. That's our attitude towards Scripture. And I want to ask us this morning, what's our attitude toward Scripture? We have something here which is precious and timeless. Do we love it? Do we long to meet God in its pages? Do we enjoy feeding our spirit on the words it says? Or do we have a ho-hum attitude and approach it casual casually I remember some years ago my wife and I visited the Grand Canyon it's been an ambition of mine for years to actually go and see the Grand Canyon in person not on posters not on movies and not on one of those little 3d viewers that I had when I was 10 years old and I, I was actually shocked. We, I mean, I was just overwhelmed. But after about 15 or 20 minutes, I found myself, oh, well, I've seen that, been there, done that. And, and I had a, a ho-hum attitude. And I thought, boy, how very quickly our attitudes can deteriorate towards that which is, I mean, a, I mean, a wonder of the world. If we translate that into our attitude towards the scripture, we are headed down the road of having little joy and little depth in our Christian walk. 
They delight in the law of the Lord. That's our attitude towards the scripture. They delight in the law of the Lord. Now, why do they do that? Because this book is no ordinary book. When Paul was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, his last letter, really, that he wrote to anybody here on the earth, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed. Inspired is another way of looking at it. But it's more than just inspired. It's God-breathed. Although the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different people, including generals and princes and fishermen and scholars and administrators and priests and bakers and shepherds, it was really authored by God himself. And every word they wrote down He inspired those very words and breathed into them his life. So this book is a direct message from God to us. In fact, one leader in the early church described the scripture as a letter from God. Now the first thing we read about God doing in the Bible is speaking. Genesis 1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God spoke. And God said. And ten times in Genesis 1 we read, And God said. And God said. And God said. At creation, God spoke. And the truth is, he hasn't stopped speaking. He goes on and on and on speaking. Throughout the Old Testament, he speaks through the preaching of the prophets. In the New Testament, he speaks to us through his son. And today, he speaks to us directly in our hearts by his spirit. And he speaks to us. When we open this book and when we read it, he speaks to us through the scripture. Some years ago, I met a man from Asia. His name was William. Not his Asian name, but it was the name he adopted when he came to Canada to study. And for years he'd been steeped in atheism. And one of the things he decided to do while he was in Canada, in the West, was to read the Bible because it was readily available in the West and it was forbidden in his country. And I knew what was going to happen. He started to read the Bible. He started to interact with it, and it started to interact with him. I remember sitting in a Chinese restaurant on Pembina Highway, reading Psalm 23 with him. And he, 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 he said, oh, what beautiful words. He was understanding that 
this wasn't just poetry. This was God speaking to him. But the thing that clinched it for him was when he read in John's gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he became a Christian. Gave his life to Jesus because God spoke to him through the Bible. Steve McQueen was the leading man of his day. With his rugged good looks and blonde hair and blue eyes, Steve defined cool for that particular generation. But when he discovered that he had lung cancer, he decided to look for the peace and hope that had eluded him through all of his achievement and all of his celebrity. Eventually, Steve McQueen made it to a Billy Graham crusade and with everybody else came forward and gave his life to Jesus. But he had some knowing doubts and so he arranged to meet Billy Graham personally and the only way it could happen was to hitch a ride to the, in Billy Graham's car as he was going to the airport. And so the two sat in the back of his car and, and Steve expressed his doubts. He'd given his life to Jesus, but could he be sure that heaven really did await him? And Billy opened his Bible to Titus 1 and he read in verse 2 which says this, This truth gives us confidence that we have eternal life which God who does not lie, promised before the world began. That's what I wanted to hear, said Steve McQueen. Now, what are those words? Can you, have you got a pen and paper? Let me write them down. Instead of that, Billy Graham closed his Bible and gave it to him. On the 7th of November, 1980, Steve McQueen passed away. When they discovered his body, he had that Bible open on his lap to Titus chapter 1 and his finger was on verse 2. God spoke to Steve McQueen through the Bible. God can speak to you and me through the Bible. When we were thinking about coming to Canada and emigrating, leaving our life in the UK behind, it was a big decision and we wanted to hear the Lord very clearly and he spoke to us first of all through the Bible in fact it was through Psalm 139 in verse 9 it says this if I take the wings of the morning and make my home at the far side of the sea even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Now, the plane for Canada left England in the morning. That was the wings of the morning. And Canada lay at the other side of the Atlantic Ocean from England where we were. And that was making our home at the far side of the sea. And the reason I'm standing here today is because God spoke to us through 
his word. They delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it. If delighting is our attitude to God's word, meditating is our action towards it. It's not what we believe about this book that matters. It's actually what we do with it. Years ago, I became familiar with a very simple illustration that the uh, navigators put out. And it was their hand illustration. And just as I need all five fingers on my hand to pick up this book and then open it up and, 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 and read what's inside, they offered five different ways we can relate to the Bible. Remember this, the first part of this message is about how we relate to this book. Let me mention what they are. First of all, reading it. This is something that we do for pleasure. Regularly having its contents just wash over our minds and our spirits. I want to ask us this morning, do we have a regular time and a regular place where we open this book and just read God's letter to us? We're very keen to open our emails or read our texts, but I wonder if we are as keen to read God's letter to us. Unless we are deliberate about it, it won't happen. Plan to have a time and a place where you get alone with a cup of coffee and your Bible. It seems like eons ago when I was a student at Bible school. Um, and I remember one morning in, in our hall of residence, I decided that my room was scruffy enough and so I went to the closet to get a broom to give it a sweep. And as I opened the door, I got the shock of my life. In fact, I stepped back in shock because sitting inside the broom closet was my friend. And he's got a Bible in one hand and a flashlight in the other. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm reading the Bible. He, he said, in, in a, I can't get any privacy in this hall of residence. But because it's a guy's hall of residence, I knew that very few people would come to the broom closet to get the supplies to clean their room, so I was safe here. At least until you came. The thing that struck me was that Frank Gamble, that was his name, he'd set a time and a place to read his Bible. Well, there's another way in which we can relate to this, and it's studying it. That's reading slowly. That's, that's taking our time. That's maybe going through a topic. What does this book say about children? What does this book say about marriage? What does this book say about money? What does this book say about relationships? And taking our time just to go that little bit deeper. Maybe... It might mean reading a commentary alongside of it or reading a Christian book alongside of it. But it's just going one step deeper than reading. 
A third, the third finger on the hand is meditating. This was the very word that David used in Psalm 1. And back in Bible days, the, 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 the word meditate meant to speak, to mutter, to speak out loud. And what it was hitting on was that discipline of, of hitting on a, a verse or, or a truth and saying, oh, geez, you know, think about that. God is my father. Wow. What a truth that is. Not my brother, not my guide, my father. He wanted me. He loves me. He provides for me. He guards me. Do you see what I mean? Just, just having a conversation with the Holy Spirit about what God has written here. I'd really urge us to take notes in the teaching times. I'd urge us to underline or highlight in your regular devotion times so we can go back and think about it. That's meditating. The fourth way in which we can relate to it is memorizing. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word have I stored up in my heart that I might not sin against you. And when you store up God's word, you're actually um, putting stock in an arsenal that you can bring out to combat the enemy just like Jesus did in the desert. And then the final way, the fifth way, is obeying. Reading, studying, meditating, memorizing, and obeying. Putting feet to what we read. Putting the word into practice. Now, David adds a little phrase. He says that they take, they delight in the law of the Lord, and on his law, they meditate day and night. Well, does that mean we have to be reading our Bible all the time? No. This is talking about the habit of reading Scripture irrespective of our external circumstances. Whether we're in the daytime of blessing or the nighttime of trial, we'll keep right on with that habit that we've established with our Bible, reading, enjoying, imbibing. I belong to a team ministry in the, uh, just outside the city of Oxford in, in England for a number of years, 10 years in all. And one of those years was particularly uh, dark because our senior pastor's wife uh, died under very tragic circumstances. And uh, I remember the, the, the day it happened that those who were closest to him just went to be with him. And we were always ready with a quip and a joke and a smart comment, but that was all inappropriate then. In fact, nobody said anything. By the way, when somebody's hurting, we don't have to say anything. Just going and sitting is enough. Just being there. 
The thing I remember out of that meeting, that was one. The other thing I remember was watching waves of grief hit Steve and his, his shoulders would shake as he sobbed. But between times, he'd pick up his Bible and he'd, he'd read scriptures that he'd underlined. All things work together for God to those who love God. When I pass through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me and so on. I will never leave you or forsake you. Day and night, whatever the circumstances. Okay, that's how we interact with the word. Now look at verse 3. Because this tells us how the word interacts with us. It says that the people that do what I've just been saying are like trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit each season. Their leaf never withers and they prosper in all they do. This tells me three things that the Bible does in me interacts with me as I interact with it. First of all, it strengthens us. David says that the man or woman who has a regular relationship with God's word, they're like trees. Not like plants that are easily uprooted. Not like flowers that quickly fade and die, but like trees. Hey, there, there's a strength about a tree. They're tall. They're mature. They're strong. You can't uproot a tree. You can't push a tree over easily. There's something str strong in its being. And that's what we become when we become people of this book. It strengthens us. It matures us. Secondly, it establishes us. They are like trees planted. Do you know what the oldest living organism on the earth is? It's a tree. In fact... It has a name. Its name is Prometheus. It's in the Great Basin National Park in Nevada. It's a bristlecone pine. And the experts tell us it's a staggering 5,000 years old. That means when Abraham was born, that tree was 1,000 years old. And... It's enduring. It's seen storms. It's seen rain. It's seen floods. It's seen droughts. But there it is. Enduring. And you know what, folks? If we are in this for the long haul, if we want to continue walking with the Lord, we'll plant our feet and our life in this book. Um, I mentioned that we come from England and uh, England has a long history. And 
ever so often, in fact, more often these days, when you pass through towns, you'll see buildings that were churches that are now shops or private houses or works, workshops. One was a pig pen. And it marks the death of a group of people. And more often than not, the thing that caused their weakness and eventually their demise was not being based on this book. If we want longevity, we'll be people of the word because it causes us to endure. It establishes us. And the third thing it does is supplies us. They're like trees planted along the riverbank. You know, there's a famous vineyard in Germany that produces grapes that make wine of the rarest quality and has done for generations. And yet there's something ironic about that because the vineyard is in a particularly stony ground. And the experts wondered why this was the case. And fairly recently, they've discovered that these vines have actually developed root systems that go for miles and miles and miles accessing the waters of the Rhine River. And even though they might be many kilometers away, they're drawing up their sustenance from the Rhine, and that's why they can endure even in an arid condition. And whether it's, it's a drought or a flood, they are drawing their sustenance from another source. Folks, let's not draw our supply from Netflix. Let's not draw it from social media. Let's not draw it from what's cool or current or what the government says or what's trendy. Let's put our roots in this book and draw goodness from it. I was thinking, what does the Bible tell us we can expect to draw from it? I wrote a few things down. You may want to make a note of them. The Bible provides understanding. The entrance of your word gives light. The Bible gives us guidance. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It offers success and prosperity. Do not let the words of this law depart from your mouth then you will be prosperous and successful. It keeps us pure. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It brings correction. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness. It produces faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. It gives us strength. Strengthen me according to your word. It gives us joy. Your testimonies are the joy of my heart. It gives us peace. 
Great peace have those who love your law. It brings hope. You are my hiding place. I hope in your word. It makes us wise. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. And it brings healing. He sent his word and healed them. And that's not a comprehensive list. That's just a dozen things that we pop down there. So, it strengthens, establishes, supplies, and makes us fruitful and successful. Each bearing fruit, bearing fruit each season, and their leaves never wither. Isn't that interesting, by the way? For those of us who... Oh, for those of you who know horticulture, I don't know very much. But I do know that a fruit-bearing tree sheds its leaves. If, it, if a tree doesn't shed its leaves, it doesn't bear fruit. An evergreen isn't fruit-bearing. But this tree is supernatural. Because it bears fruit... And it keeps its leaves. Let me finish with a story. Back in 1990, my wife went into a very deep and serious depression. It caused a great black cloud to be over her life for three and a half years. One time she cried for three weeks solid without stopping. On another occasion, she drove the car to a particular destination and had to call me because she didn't know why she was where she was. It was a very dark time. Taking her life seemed a plausible thing. But the Bible says that these dark seasons, they come, but they come to pass. They don't come to stay. And even though it felt like the Bible was written in Latin, a language she doesn't understand, Val kept on reading it. And even though this was her emotional experience, the truths of this word kept her spirit alive. She never once lost a relationship with God. She never once doubted God. And her leaf didn't wither. After three and a half years, there was a light at the end of the tunnel. It was a verse of scripture, actually. Psalm 3, verse 3. You, O Lord, are a shield around me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. And back then we had a, a tape. So this is how long ago it was. A tape. You remember those cassettes it was a hosanna tape with worship on it and they, one of the songs was this set to this scripture set to me for you O lord are a shield around you're the glory and the lifter of my head she played that tape all day on a stereo that was cranked up to to now i mean that the house was vibrating with, with with this the truth of this word and that truth penetrated 
her darkness and brought her through and brought her out. That's how powerful this word is, folks. I want to finish by reading once again those opening verses. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight. That's their attitude. In the law of the Lord, meditating, that's their action on it, day and night, that's their habit. And when they interact with the word, the word interacts with them. They are like trees, strengthened, planted. They are established along the riverbank. They're supplied, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. They're successful in all that they do. And may we be men and women and May this church be similarly a church of the word. May we be men and women of the word. May we be a church of the word. And may it do us good like it promises. God bless you.